Man, I'm having so much fun. This is a $1.6 trillion industry. I'm talking about the food and beverage space. If you're not having fun, you're in the wrong place. Yes, it's hard work, but my gosh, the companies, the brands, the flavors, the experiences, the missions, it's fantastic. But some of the brands are different, better, and special. They're the ones who are able to really compete and vie for customer loyalty. Look, I know you want to make your brand different, better, and special. I know you yourself want to be different, better, and special. That's my mission. That's why you're here. Join me on this journey as I interview CEOs and founders from all the different companies within the food and beverage industry so we can discover what they're doing, so we can take that information back, digest it, and become better ourselves and to help our companies take on different strategies, pick the right technology, pick the right partners. And of course, you got to have great tasting food. You got to have great tasting beverages, packaged goods. If it doesn't taste good, you're lost. I'm sorry. You're going to lose millions. If you're new here, take the five episode challenge. Go back, pick out some brands and CEOs, some topics. If you love the content, subscribe. You're going to find it on every podcast platform once or twice a week. But I also publish them on LinkedIn because that's where we kind of hang out. So when you see it on LinkedIn, stop by, make a comment, share it back into your food and beverage network. I would appreciate it. The brands would appreciate it. To all my loyal listeners, thank you so much. You guys are awesome. Thank you for being with me on this journey. Thanks for coming along on this mission for the past two years. If you are considering a strategic job change, message me. Let's have a confidential conversation. If your brand is growing and you need to attract experts, you also need to contact me because I have created a different, better, and special recruiting system. I promise you, no other search firm in America is doing that. Who am I? I'm Tony Moore. I'm an expert food and beverage headhunter, semi-professional podcaster, and I'm here each and every week Stay tuned for this week's episode. Hey, welcome to Winning at Work. It is Tony. And recently I had a couple of founders on from the Wharton School. I had Vedant Sabu and Mike Weber from Frutero Ice Cream. And it turns out this that class must have been like an incubator <laughs> for other entrepreneurs because I have another set of entrepreneurs today, Chris Allen and Vicente Siraco, and they are from Osena Spike Coconut Water. Guys, welcome into the program today. Thanks for having us, Tony. Hey, Tony. How's it going? It's going great. Going great. Excited to talk about coconut. You know, the funny, the Frutero uh, guys – that class, not only was it an incubator for entrepreneurship, but somehow an incubator for coconut flavored entrepreneurship because their their flavor line uh, very closely tracks ours. So, I was wondering what was going on. Well, literally what was in the water? Yeah, it's just we love tropical flavors at Wharton. I don't know. <laughs> and there's another funny thing is that you guys are all launching these tropical flavors nowhere near the tropics. You're up in the Northeast. You yeah. couldn't be further away from a palm tree. Well, that's what we said. I, I Mike, Mike and I were, were saying that apparently Philadelphia is just a sleeper market for tropical flavors. You know? <laughs> apparently, it's a sleeper market. Well, uh, so glad you guys could come down here. I know we're uh, year-end business planning, trying to get everything organized for the next year. But 
there is so much happening within innovation, within functional beverages, drinking. There's so much happening. And you guys are right at the center of this storm. So I thought it made a lot of sense. As we go into the holidays, people are obviously, they like to buy beverages for the holidays. So I thought it'd be a great idea to have you down. Let's talk about the origin story. How did you guys even come up with this this idea, Vicente? What, what, what kind of kicked this off? So uh, back in 2019, um, I was working at Anheuser-Busch. Uh, and that summer is something that most people know really as White Claw Summer. Um, that was the time that Spike Seltzer really became this massive cultural phenomenon. So you can imagine if you saw it, in culture, what it must have been like within the industry. The the industry was uh, absolutely just everybody trying to get um, the biggest piece of that pie as they could because, I mean, Spike Seltzer is really the biggest revolution in, um, you know, malt beverages since uh, light beer, essentially. So um, they all wanted to be part of this massive revolution. Um, but there wasn't a lot of introspection going on. So there wasn't a lot of people saying, okay, well, what happened? How did we get to Spike Seltzer, right? So Spike Seltzer, it's clearly a better for you uh, evolution in alcohol. Um, it's easy drinking. It's lower calorie. It's low sugar. Uh, and so it just made for a great alternative to beer and high liquor uh, or cocktail products. But that doesn't make Spike Seltzer the end-all, be-all. So uh, while I was, um, you know, seeing this happening, it occurred to me that coconut water uh, would be a perfect mix with alcohol. Coconut water is a beverage that a lot of people drink the day after a night of drinking. And it's they do that because it's hydrating. It's packed with electrolytes. It's refreshing. And so a Spike coconut water seemed like a perfect union and a clear step forward in better for you alcohol. But the industry was just way too focused on throwing more and more brands at Spike Seltzer. So I was actually roommates with Chris at the time, and I had been talking to him about um, the the potential for a spiked coconut water um, all summer. And, uh, you know, I didn't just choose Chris because he was my roommate. Um, He's got a really impressive background that I'll, I'll let him get into. Right. I was coming at this really from the perspective of a point in my career where I was looking to pivot into something more entrepreneurial, um, more at the beginning. And I had spent five years in finance uh, at Johnson & Johnson in New Jersey and went back to Wharton really with one express goal of getting into something that was a little bit smaller and a little bit more um, entrepreneurial so I could have a greater impact. And um I really found my way into the startup scene at Wharton, ended up getting an internship at a startup, clothing startup called Faraday Brand in New York, uh, in a role where I was the chief of staff uh, to the CEO um, that summer. And I was looking for something to do on my own. I kind of came away from that summer saying, I love these early stage startups and I'm just one idea short of being a startup founder. You know, I couldn't just come up with the right idea, the right moment. And when Vicente came to me with the idea of spiked coconut water, I evaluated it for about five minutes, honestly. I said, this is a great <laughs> idea. Um, I said, this is a great idea. You know, I, I don't see um, the bigger companies going into this. I think that they're going to be fighting it out in Seltzer for many years trying to get share. They're going to let companies and startups do the innovative thing and then just kind of pick the winner. So um, 
I thought it was a good idea, but I also thought that I could bring bring a lot of value to the business because I have kind of grown up in uh, the alcohol industry. My father is an alcohol industry executive on the distribution side. And I like to tell our partners and investors that kind of funny story is um, on Take Your Child to Work Day. In, in, <laughs> I, I, used to ride right, on, right. I used to ride on beer trucks and um, go on sales calls to liquor stores and bars and things like that, which is a really funny way. That to, is hysterical uh, to think about growing up with your dad. Yeah, as a 12-year-old to get a day off of school and then go go, to go to, hang uh, out in the bars. Go hang out in the bars and liquor stores. It's pretty, pretty interesting, but I, I kind of grew up in that world. I know a lot of alcohol distributors and um, you know, my, my father luckily has really bought in on our company as well and kind of turned over his network. Um, that's allowed us to, um, get the, the right kinds of distribution, the right kinds of meetings and the right kinds of advisory to make sure that this wasn't just the dream, but, but that we were able to put the right types of, um, the right type of offering out there that would be interesting to the market. So yeah, that was, that was it. Osena was born. Um, that was September, 2019. Here we are three years plus later and we're, uh, we're in eight states and, 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 and growing. Well, with your background in finance and Vicente, your just understanding of what's happening, you know, in the movement of beverage, give us an idea of just the size of this marketplace. You know, either one of you guys, what, what, what's the size of the marketplace that you're playing in right now? And what would you say is your target demographic? Yeah. So Spike Seltzer has uh, really, I mean, if we back up a little bit, if you look at beer, um, beer in the United States is about a hundred ten billion dollar market. Spike Seltzer, the the estimate the estimates range between ten and sixteen billion dollars. So for us, that was actually the the first point of comparison where we looked at that and we said, okay, you know, for for the Spike Seltzer drinkers that are looking for something better, you know. Will 10%, the the 10% most health conscious want something better and shift towards a spike coconut water? If that's true, this could be a one to $1.5 billion market in spike coconut water. So that's what really got us initially excited about the potential uh, market size. Um, so that's, that's really kind of what we hope um, and will push this category to grow into. As far as our uh, target demographic, um, a, a lot of the lead adopters are going to reflect uh, who is drinking coconut water today. Um, so if you look at who is drinking coconut water today, uh, it's, it's around 43% uh, millennial and uh, Gen Z. It's, um, it's uh, young mothers. Um, you know, and it's uh, it's a very diverse drinking base as well. So it's about fifty five percent people of color, uh, especially Asians and Hispanics. So that those are those are our first uh, customers that we um, and consumers that we hope to uh, to win. So would you say this is a, a category that you're pioneering, or do you feel like you're a challenger brand at this point? Yeah, we definitely see ourselves as one of the pioneers. Um, there are a few competitors in the space, but no one's really established uh, much of a foothold um, in in any state or even region, really. And so for us, we see this as very early days. Um, all of our competitors are uh, independent startups like us 
Um, so, you know, time will tell. Um, and we actually do have our first uh, major corporate competitor uh, coming in next year, um, which is uh, Vita Coco, um, that announced their release of an RTD line um, of, of spiked coconut water. So you can really see how the coconut water uh, corporations now are, are seeing the same thing that we saw three years ago, which is how um, perfect this union of coconut water and alcohol really is. Well, Chris, I think it's interesting with what Vicente is saying is that you guys are really out in front. You've got some big corporate players that are trying to get into the market. The timing looks looks perfect for you guys because you've looks like you guys are now partnering with Seed Invest, mm-hmm. your way of going out and get some crowdfunding because obviously mm-hmm. it's expensive to to play in the beverage world. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. It's 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 interesting the the equity crowdfunding um, avenue. What we found is um, the the beverage venture capital world is a bit sparse. Um, you know, it's it's typically later stage, and we're kind of a seed stage company, so it's a little bit kind of few and far between. Companies have been very or, or venture uh, money has been flowing into uh, tech, fintech, Web three, um, you know, traditional kind of food CPG. I think alcohol is a little bit overlooked. Um, so what we've done is we've gone to a lot of angel networks, angel investors, individuals, high net worths. Um, but we need a lot of money in order to, to, to compete with a company like Diageo and Vitacoco, right? Um, so we needed to quickly ramp up that access to capital. And what equity crowdfunding gives us is it sort of... Um, it sort of syndicates, uh, you know, the the responsibility of raising money over a wide capital base. So, Seed Invest, for example, has hundreds of thousands of investors um, that are on their platform looking for really small slivers of companies like ours. So, right, and you and, and they're comfortable because you've been vetted, and that's what's great about that platform. Exactly, and Seed Invest is perhaps the most choiceful of, of all of the equity crowdfunding platforms in terms of just the amount of deals that are offered. So, when something comes up, it comes with the sort of st- seal of approval. Um, what what we feel is uh, consumer products companies are perfect for equity crowdfunding because it's a tangible thing that sort of the average person can quickly wrap their heads around. It's not sort of a very technical offering that we have. But in addition, it also serves as something of a commercial for our company, right? It, it, it allows us to have a web presence beyond our website, get access to 300,000, not only investors, but also consumers that sort of seeds the recognition of our brand and markets that we haven't necessarily tapped just yet. Do you find that there's any disconnect between the people who want to invest and the demographic that this product really is designed for? I know a lot of beverage companies struggle with that, right? They'll send samples and they're like, oh, I don't like it. Well, well, it's not for you. Yeah. So we we definitely have, have run into that. I would say, I think that the most thoughtful people, whether they be potential partners or potential investors are willing to see beyond that. Um, anybody who's not willing to see beyond that is not going to be a good fit for, for us as, or, or, you know, it's, it's very unlikely that we'll be able to, um, open a closed mind as they say. Right. So, um, we look for people who are willing to look beyond that. But uh, one thing I will say is that our lead adopter demographic is a little bit different. Um, you know, it's a little bit different than kind of how it's playing out in terms of people that we are actually selling to. Uh, we found that the product has a much more broad appeal because it's very light, very easy drinking. It's not something that we're like, if you're not a younger female consumer, you're not going to like it. 
Yeah, and I think that the the uh, smartest investors are going to say, well, you know, I, I'm not the target demographic, so let me get the samples to someone who is the te- target demographic, get their feedback, and based on that, I'll I'll uh, I'll you know make a decision on whether to move forward. So you know, we've definitely seen that, and and that shows you know a level of sophistication as well. Well, when I was looking at your website and I saw the, all the different you know flavors and different offerings that you had, I started thinking through. Obviously, you have to got you have you have to go through formulation, the costs associated with that. Then you couple all the trends that are happening in functional. How are you guys able to manage sticking to your why and what you want your brand to be when there's so many functional beverages and uh, you know add-ins that are kind of out there. How do you guys stay true to what you want your brand to be and do it affordably because it's so expensive to innovate? Yeah. I, you know, I, I think there's a, there's really a lot that we could say about that, about that. But I think what we do right now is we have the blessing of being unique right now um, in the alcohol space where um, I doubt very many distributors are coming across products like ours. Um, Good point. So we, we stand out right away. Um, you know, is that going to be the case forever? Uh, no, certainly not. And I, I'd imagine that uh, competition, if we're successful, will come very quickly, is already coming. Um, so what we have to lean into is the things that make our product most likely to be successful long term, which is the brand, and start to really create a unique voice around the brand of Osana. We've done a lot of work around that in the pa- in the in the past few years that we've yet to really been able to activate because we haven't had the money to do so. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Because that oh. is really really important for I think for this podcast and for the listeners, for companies oh. who are trying to hire. You've got to have your brand dialed in for people. Absolutely. And our brand is, is, uh, very relaxed, sort of, um, winking brand around, um, you know, this idea of limitless life. So what we do is we kind of think about what is it really like? What does a spike coconut water really stand for? And what it is is the lifestyle of a drink that you consume, uh, as part of a, a set of lifestyle choices that, that sort of make sense or, and are all in harmony. So it's, watching what you eat, it's fitness, it's, um, you know, focusing on your mental health, um, it's practicing healthy relationships, and it's um, enjoying a beverage that is working hard um, and works as hard as you do. So it's a beverage with underlying functionality. That's the consumer who's most likely to sort of resonate with the brand as an expression of themselves. So what we've tried to do is set up Osena sort of in the vein of companies like Lululemon, Nike, where it's sort of a reflection of your lifestyle and the, the consumer that you are. Um, like I said, we haven't had the opportunity to really activate around that just yet. It's mostly reflected in our social and our website right now, but we do have um, you know, point of sale tactics and digital marketing and things like that that will really kind of bring that to life, um, creating a lifestyle brand in the beverage space. Yeah, it's... It is so critical, particularly in, in beverage. There's something about beverages. It is in an emotional tie. Absolutely. And you and your cans, your your logos, your boxes, everything just kind of speaks and kind of resonates with what a person wants to get out of that beverage. I don't I don't know what it is about beverages. It's such a different space. It's a very personal relationship between consumer and brand. Yeah. And and something else that I think is 
pretty interesting about um, and, and maybe a little bit cold about the beverage space is that consumers they they are they do form very close attachments with their brand, but they're willing to drop them at the, at the, the <laughs> you know at a moment's notice for for something better. Um, I think we've seen that happening in our space in the last couple of years, where um, you know White Claw was all the rage, and now High Noon is all the rage, and it's basically taking that White Claw wave and been like, okay, we're going to take those consumers now. So. Um, you know, you, it's not enough to just engender brand love. You have to continue to win that consumer over. Um, I don't want to say every day, but you know, you win that consumer over on a regular basis. Yeah. So, uh, Vicente, what would you say are some of the kind of current, I don't know, sales or distribution strategies, or maybe Chris, maybe you touch on it. I know you guys are, are at that point now where you're just starting to kind of hit that hockey stick now, right? Yeah. For sure. So as far as distribution strategies, what we've done is we positioned ourselves as sort of a middle ground between seltzer and um, ready to drink liquor based products. So um, we typically distribute our product through beer wholesale networks. Um, and those beer wholesale networks were f- for the most part, the ones who um, got rich off of the White Claw and Truly wave and the seltzer wave. And what people are seeing in our space right now is um, and, and we, Vicente and I personally push back on this and think it's a little bit overblown, but the death of seltzer, right? Seltzer um, falling off a bit. And what's happened is the growth has gone to liquor-based products. Those are coming in at a higher price point. Um, they're typically made with higher quality ingredients, real juice, things like that. Um, and this has gone on, you know, gotten to such a level that White Claw and Truly next year will roll out. Actually, Truly's already done so. Rolled out vodka-based seltzers of their own. Um Typically, beer wholesalers are carrying mostly malt-based products, but they're looking for something to compete in the tranche of sort of like a premium light product, something that's not hyper-premium, but premium light, maybe like a $9.99 four-pack or an $18.99 8-pack. Um, the seltzer is not going to get to that level. Um, and what we think is that Spike Coconut Water gives them a perfect uh, third way of, of approaching this competitive landscape because it's a malt-based product that they can sell in the grocery store, but coconut water liquid is something that's demonstrated consumers will pay $250 for 12 ounces of coconut water. It's a premium product. It appeals to a better for you consumer. It appeals to a younger consumer that they can get, you know, sort of early on with a lot of like uh, starting to come into a little bit of disposable income as well. So we think that it's it's um our strategy is not just, hey, look at us, we're new. That was our strategy at the beginning, but more so going to a wholesaler and saying, look at your portfolio, where is the gap? And we think that we can fill the gap for you. How much do you have Do you have to rely on Nielsen or IRI data with these guys? Not very much. Um, I think that, that, you know, especially because we don't really have a lot of grocery uh, data thus far. So our Nielsen IRI is very sparse. We do pull a little bit of trends in functional beverage. We'll look at competitive brands in Nielsen IRI. We're not competitive brands, but brands that we think are a good analog for us. Right now, June Shine is a really good example of that. And we look at trends in non-alcoholic coconut water to help them get an understanding of the type of drinker we're trying to approach. Yeah. What would you say, though, really are the trends in drinking and or functional? We kind of touched on that at the top, and you guys mm-hmm. are right in the middle of it. What are you guys seeing what what can we expect going forward? Well, I think the biggest thing is that in 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 non-alc right now, functional beverages is the fastest growing segment in in the beverage space, right? So I, I think we typically and, and Vicente actually, this is part of his his pitch to 
um, distributors is that when you walk down the aisle of the functional beverage aisle at Whole Foods, it seems like these brands are in something of an arms race to fortify their product with B vitamins and collagen and all of these things. Um, you're seeing energy drinks that are fortified with uh, supplements and things like that. This is a, a, a space that is, is just absolutely exploding on the, on the non-alk side. And uh, alcohol is being totally ignored. So what we're seeing is maybe a little bit of spiked kombucha, a little bit of spiked tea. We feel like this incredibly uh, fast-growing non-alk segment is bound to bleed into alcohol at some point. So we kind of see ourselves as like we're at the convergence of fastest-growing non-alk segment, right, functional beverage, and the fastest-growing alcohol segment, the canned cocktail, seltzer, kind of RTD space. Um, it's a matter of time until these things marry uh, in the middle. Yeah, one one thing that we we see, um, you know, coming in the future is you know with the spiked kombucha, spiked teas, and spiked coconut waters. Eventually, retailers, you know, they're going to have their beer aisle, they're going to have their spiked seltzer aisle, and then you're going to have your spiked functional aisle. So we really see this category becoming something where you know when someone is looking for you know the highest and better for you alcohol they'll know which section they need to go to in the store. And then that will be um, the basis for their selection. Yeah. It, to me, it just kind of makes sense for that person who is looking for that non-alcoholic there, that base, that's someone who wants a lighter drink. It's like you start with the, you know, the spiked and then you transition to the non. Yeah, absolutely. And we, we've constructed our formulation to kind of fill that need as well. I think it's very light drinking. We haven't carbonated it very heavily gone for the lightest possible drink that you can have. We haven't, you know, put it at seven or 8% alcohol. It's 5% alcohol. So it's easy drinking. And, um, I, I agree wholeheartedly with that sentiment. Yeah. What would you say are some of your key learnings at this point that other beverage entrepreneurs need to know about? What do you think is a, a good key learning takeaway at this point? I think the the biggest thing is, um, the, the, the space is a little bit different than other types of CPG. I think you'll see a lot of people in the space who are looking at CPG companies um, selling, you know, chocolate bars and cereal um, and, and, you know, other things like, you know, other things like that, mostly over the internet um, and thinking that, those types of tactics will, will carry over to alcohol. We certainly see brands that, that do quite well with an e-commerce focus. But at the end of the day, I think people really want to drink things that taste good. So what we've found is that the fancier tactics and, – and Vicente and I are both young entrepreneurs, right? We're right around 30. So it's very popular in sort of our age group to, to go with like a digital first, digitally native type brand. And it's not quite as sexy to um, roll your sleeves up and kind of get dirty in the store. And that's what we found is that we kind of like the old school marketing a little bit better. We find it to be a little bit more effective for us um, to put a really effective point of sale display together and attract somebody's eyes in the store or to run a very aggressive sampling program um, or um, to run, you know, to show up at the local beer fest. And be the the option for people who show up, who are dragged to that beer fest, who don't necessarily drink beer, and they're like, "What am I going to do with this beer fest all day?" Oh my goodness, there's a coconut water. Um, those are not the types of tactics that are going to win you, um, you know, like an ad week award, but they work. 
and it's because they're close to the point of consumption. Yeah, I love that you just said the kind of old school. But listen, when you talk to beverage executives, that's that is truly how they opened up their region. They would bring their cases, they'd bring their samples, they'd go to convenience store, they'd hit every single one in their local market, get the liquid to lips, get that, you know, get that volume going with those smaller convenience stores, and now you've proven your model out. People try to do that now on Amazon, right? That's what they use DTC for is that quick turnaround, quick data. You're doing it the same way, but you're doing it boots on the ground. But you're right. That's sweat equity, man. That's well, – well, you're a power lifter. So, so what? We just put some cases on your back? I'll be honest with you. The one thing that has surprised me the most about this, uh, th- this journey – is how much um, heavy uh, like liquid you have to carry in like, a very inconvenient way. Vicente and I have talked about that a lot. It's a lot well, of like, what do you oh, mean? Move fifteen cases, and my arms are tired by the end of the day. It actually is quite a quite a bit of a workout to be a beverage uh, beverage executive or beverage CEO. Yeah, there, there's a lot of manual labor involved. So you know, if 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 we start another company, I want you know we should choose like chips or something, something that's very light, <laughs> easy light. to carry around. Yeah. Yeah, but you, this way, you know, you um, you're healthy, you're fit, you got your guns all t- tuned That's up. It. That's it. It may, it may be, it may be, uh, you know, for people who are looking to kind of tone up for the summer, start a beverage brand. Boom, or just come <laughs> up with you guys and help uh, do some distribution. Yeah, please, please, we welcome all help. That might be the trade-off for the equity. <clears throat> um, so what can we expect for you guys in uh, 2023? What uh. What's going to happen for you guys? What do you plan? What do you expect? And then tell us how how can we find the product? Sure. So in 2023, we're going to continue our our number one strategic goal, which is to to continue um, to grow penetration for our Islands Collection Variety Pack. It's a SKU that we developed this past year. Uh, Variety Pack is very important to growing the product. Um, so we're bringing it to new markets and we're continuing to push further into the markets that we're already in. Um, right now, our focus is on finding markets that are uh, grocery driven and warmer weather. Um, we're obviously in a shorter season in the Northeast right now um, and um, primarily distributed in independent liquor stores. So those two things are a little bit of a new skill for us. Uh, and they'll also be fairly capital intensive endeavors, which is why we're raising money. Um, but we also, you know, we look for opportunities where we can find distributors that are really bought in on the product and buy the idea of spiked coconut water as something of a third way between seltzers and RTDs. Uh, and a great example of that is we've recently partnered with the Michigan One Network. Um, of distributors really bullish on the product, really bullish on the value proposition. And we'll be launching the product with them next. Um, we're looking to, to, to find those types of arrangements as well as we continue to kind of put this product in as many shelves as we possibly can. Um, the best way to find our product is really one of two ways. And, and this is kind of a, a, a new omni-channel approach to malt-based alcohol as we partnered with Taproom to provide uh, e-commerce uh, capability in most every state. There are some county, counties and states where the product is not available, but if you put your zip code in, we'll be able to find out pretty quickly if you can get it. That's on our website, drinkosena.com. And then um, 
And then the, the, the third way to that or the alternative to that is go to our store locator if you're in the Northeast and you can find um, the product at hopefully your local liquor store. So those states would be New Jersey, Pennsylvania, um, Delaware, Maryland, New York, and uh, Michigan coming as well very soon. Thank you guys both so much for being here. Really enjoy talking with you both. Great. Thanks, Tony. Thanks a lot, Tony.